0: When we talked about the Jerusalem church, we devoted a lot of time to James and the mysterious and interesting figure that he is, told some, you know, stories that maybe a lot of people are familiar laughs. with. Shared some laughs. We did the same thing with Peter. Um, obviously a very important tradition of the of the early church and the later church. I think we need to do the same thing with John. Uh, which is why I think this is uh, a necessary stop in our journey. Yeah,
1: coming coming out of the, it. Well, it's also because it, John takes us into the second century. Mm-hmm. And John's kind of that final apostolic word. You have all these ap- great apostolic traditions. Well, John is that
0: final apostolic word. Yeah. And it's and appropriate to get to him now. And we make promises to our audience members that <laughs> we, we get would. out of the first century. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So let's start with just like maybe the baseline, right? If you're, if you're a, a Roman Catholic, grew up Catholic, going to Mass, uh, just kind of what you might already know about John... Um, at the baseline.
1: Yeah, I think the most, maybe the f- most famous painting of John is Da Vinci's Last Supper, where mm-hmm. John's pictured right next to Jesus. In the gospel, it says that John was the one who l- was leaning on Jesus's breast mm-hmm. um, at the Last Supper. John is often portrayed as someone who's very young, so mm-hmm. longer flowing hair, no beard at all. Um, and we get the sense that he was kind of a young, passionate, kind of emotive person in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll also see that he's portrayed with or portrayed as an eagle. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's mainly just because he's he's sort of the uh-huh. the all-seeing theologian, right? <laughs> the yeah, church, so tradition also looking.
1: names him St. John the Theologian, mm-hmm. um, and it's because his gospel kind of soars above
0: the rest in its, in its depth and its theology. Yeah, and to that point, so the writings that we get from him um, that we all may be familiar with is uh, the Gospel of John especially, probably the most familiar. Um, the Book of Revelation would be the close seconds, mm-hmm. of course. Um, but then we also do get three small letters uh, from this, this John or the Johannine tradition. Yeah, three small but
1: very profound, actually, mm-hmm. uh, little letters. So that makes five books of the New Testament out of the
0: 27 belong to John in this Johannine tradition. Yeah, and when we were talking about the Jerusalem Church and the Jerusalem Council, Paul, um, we mentioned that that John was considered a pillar. So right? in, in St.
1: Paul's letter to the Galatians, he names uh, Peter, James, the Lord's brother, and John as the pillars of the Church, mm-hmm. reputed to be pillars of the Church. Yeah. And you definitely see that in the early chapters of Acts. Um, the first pillars of the Church were Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, son of Zebedee. So the two mm-hmm. brothers were part of the pillars, and then uh, James is martyred in year 42, and you see that's when the Lord's brother, we said, steps into this leadership position in Jerusalem. But so John is there since the beginning mm-hmm. as a pillar of the church.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it makes sense that we would have to devote some time to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, so That that's a good baseline knowledge. So it's but it's, it's more interesting and, and mysterious and textured than that. Yeah, and so, I think that's there, what we were. Yeah. There's so many great traditions about John, even just driving from
1: the second century after he, he passed away. Um, but you always still feel he's there's this mystery that's still there mm-hmm. about him, even though we have a lot more on him yeah. um, than perhaps other apostles. You still feel like I can't quite get him. I can't yeah. quite grasp. There's him.
0: still a lot of question marks mm-hmm. even after you study him and uh, and a lot of unknowns. So if we can get everybody totally confused, that we would, That'd have done, be, our our would job. Have done our job. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so we start off with John's story. What is John's story? Where's he from? You know, so he 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 comes from. Um, a little town just around the area of Bethsaida. His father is Zebedee, is his name. His mother is Salome. Um, and where we learn that actually is if you look in uh, the crucifixion narratives of Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, mm-hmm. if you do a comparison work there, you'll see that in uh, in Mark's gospel, Salome is mentioned. Yeah. Um, in Matthew's gospel, Salome is not mentioned, but what you do get is you know that we have Mary Magdalene is there, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and then it says... And the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So that's how, boom, you make the connection. Okay, so it's Salome. So um, they they own a, a pretty thr- like a thriving fishing operation. Yeah, it seems so.
1: From the Gospel um, of John itself, uh, mm-hmm. so Zebedee, their father, owns the fishing business. He has hired hands, mm-hmm. which tells you that it's more than just a little family business. They have they have servants and hired hands yeah. that are that are that are working this um, this fishing business, and that's important because. What that allows us to uh, imply is that John and his brother James, his older brother James, have leisure, yeah they have time to go and do other things, yeah
0: yeah to to go follow preachers and prophets <laughs> yes, if exactly. they want to um, yeah. but you know and to the to the Salome point to put a little more flesh on that, um, Salome kind of makes us think that he has a connection to the temple, right he does so. Yeah,
1: Sal- mentioning Salome is significant because we can also connect Salome with Elizabeth, mm-hmm. um, John the Baptist's mother. Follow the family line here, yeah, guys. So there's a fam- there's some some kind of relation that's going on between um, Salome and Elizabeth, which means that John himself is perhaps of a priestly lineage, mm-hmm. priestly families, um, and that's that's significant because we also hear it in his own gospel that it was John alone who knew the high priest at the time. Mm. So it seems pretty likely that John is of a priestly lineage, but he has time to maybe go back and forth from Jerusalem, back home to work in the fishing village back to Jerusalem to serve as a priest, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also has time to follow somebody, and that is
0: John the Baptist himself. Right, right. So because of, uh, again, because of the hired hands, the leisure, he might have the time with his brother to be following around with John the Baptist, mm-hmm. um, who might also very well be a relative of his. Well, <laughs> well,
1: exactly, and it's, and it's actually implied in his, in his gospel. So in John's gospel, there's, uh, John likes to leave himself out of it mm-hmm. by, by not naming himself. He'll always refer to a disciple or does the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the disciple on Jesus' breast. Mm-hmm. It's all referring back to him. He just doesn't put his name. So we hear in the gospel, uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 35 to 42, that John the Baptist is preaching, and there's two followers who are following him. Mm-hmm. John goes on to name one of the followers, but he doesn't name the other one. Yeah. So it's kind of in line. So Andrew was the other one, and then there's John. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because it's it's probably himself who he's speaking of, right? This other unnamed disciple. So John the Apostle was most likely um, a follower of John the Baptist. It's also interesting that he names Andrew as his kind of buddy yeah. who is also following John the Baptist. Remember, Andrew is also a fisherman, the brother of St. Yeah, Peter. And,
0: and this whole area of Bethsaida, this is where Peter, Andrew, James, and John, both of their families are running a thriving fishing business. So yeah. they would have known each other. Yeah, they definitely yeah. would have known each other. Um it's, a, it's, a, it's significant, I think, at this point to um, hone in on the fact that he's young. I think that's important because from a very early age, he's drinking in, we can say, a Essene Jew, Jew, Jewish theology through John the Baptist, um, which then later he will color by following Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, kind of fill it in. And, and so if you really wanted to just go and read John eventually, like we'll talk about in the next episode— Having those two you know in your mind, those two influences mm-hmm. kind of opens up the gospel for you and opens up his thought. but mm-hmm. it's important to note that that's what he's being formed by at this early phase and and of course being young he we get hints that he's a little rambunctious. Right? yeah well there's he's
1: passionate he's motive there's a there's an episode in uh, Luke chapter nine where he's upset that people aren't following Jesus. <laughs> said an episode like, <laughs> on Netflix. <series. laughs> In this episode, John says, you know, ask Jesus, hey, can we call down fire from heaven on them? Because they, 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 didn't, they yeah. didn't listen to the gospel. And it says that Jesus turned him and rebuked, rebuked him right away. So John is kind of this, almost has this zealous character, perhaps... Getting mm-hmm. it from John the Baptist. Yeah. John the Baptist himself is a very zealous character. Yeah. Um. So he carries over that kind of emotion
0: and passion in his own ministry, and then Jesus rebukes him at it. Yeah. It? And then even in in another episode is when um they ask what you know if they can sit at his right or his left. Jesus is right and, and his left when he comes in his kingdom. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and, and, yep. and, and then Jesus says like, "Can you drink a cup? and I'm gonna drink." You know. Mm-hmm. So it shows that they're a little bit assertive. They're mm-hmm. they're passionate. Um. And so then they Jesus gives them the name Sons of Thunder. Right? Sons of Thunder for that reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, the other thing is that John is, for his formation purposes, he's there for all the major events of Jesus' ministry, before and after even. I mean, he's there... If you really draw it out, he's there following John the Baptist as as one of the inner circle. Like John is part of this inner circle of John uh, of John the Baptist's followers. Yep. Um, from there, he goes and follows Jesus. He's there for the the transfiguration. He's there for the trial. The, he's, he's there the for crucifixion. the crucifixion. He's there for the Last Supper. He's, he's there, there for yep. the crucifixion. All the major events in Jesus' ministry, John is present. I mean. He's the first one to enter the tomb during the, uh, yeah, at the resurrection to get to the tomb. yeah. Um, He's, uh, he's there even at like Pentecost, Jerusalem Council. He's there, man, you know, for all I, of I th- it. And I think the point of us bringing that, all that
1: out is to say there's this narrative among History Channel theologians that, that, the, that the early apostles were poor, they, they weren't yeah. great thinkers, and all that. But if you look at somebody like John, who had leisure, who mm-hmm. studied—think studied, about him as studying— the law, perhaps, because his father has some money. Maybe he studied the law in the synagogue. He was a follower of John the Baptist. He listened to the great prophet all the time. Then he's a follower of Jesus. At a young age, he's being shaped and formed mm-hmm. with all these theological influences. Yeah, And no wonder he's the eagle. No wonder he's John the
0: theologian who soars above the rest. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense then that he would emerge as a pillar of that early Jerusalem church, mm-hmm. as, as Paul points out. So... The last time that we see him, though, so if we look at the first history book of the church, which is the book of Acts mm-hmm. in the Bible, John disappears in the narrative after Acts yeah, chapter does. 8.
1: He In Acts chapter 8, he goes up to Samaria with Peter to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of just is gone. We don't mm-hmm. hear from him again. And the, and the story begins to focus more on Peter and then certainly more on Paul's uh,
0: missionary journeys. Okay, and so we'll pause there. So John in Samaria... In the Book of Acts, uh, last time that we hear about him. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, for those of you who uh, remember R.L. Stein's Goosebumps uh, Choose Your Own Adventure, <laughs> you get to choose your own adventure. So, either John dies early at some point here after the mm-hmm. Acts chapter eight, um, martyrdom, what have you, or option two, he lives to old age and eventually gets to Asia Minor. Yeah, so
1: speaking to that, the first tradition that he maybe dies younger, you, you go back to that verse in Mark and in Matthew where, where they're asking Jesus, can I be at your right, can I be at your left mm-hmm. in the kingdom? And Jesus says to them, well, can you basically drink the cup that I'm going to drink, referring to his death? So mm-hmm. basically, can you be killed and martyred the way I'm gonna be yeah. killed and martyred? And of course their answer is, yes, of yes, course can we it. can, yeah. you know, the passionate uh, Zebedee brothers. Of course we can. And Jesus says, well, certainly you will. Uh, You will drink the cup that I'm going to drink. Yeah. So the implication there is that they're they're both going to die. So you have this kind of early tradition, even in the Gospels itself, the Synoptic Gospels, that Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps John died early.
0: Yeah. So in John's Gospel, however, at the end, there's maybe a little pushback against that because you see that that Jesus implies that John is going to live longer than Peter.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, but
1: but also that Acts doesn't record John's martyrdom is suspicious, because it does record his older yeah. brother's martyrdom. That's a good point. So James, James the el- elder uh, dies in 42, is killed, uh, martyred. And mm-hmm. so to not name also John's martyrdom would be a, a little odd. Yeah. Um, so, okay, he disappears in Acts chapter 8, but but perhaps he goes somewhere, he goes to Ephesus. So I think uh, we're going we're gonna to show that the, the, the evidence is stronger for the second tradition that John yeah. lives on. Yeah,
0: because the proponents of the tradition that John dies early what they what they do, and this is actually this go this goes as far back as Eusebius, um, mm-hmm. the early church historian of the fourth century. Um, he zeroes in on a fragment of another father. F- stay with me in the early second century, whose name was uh, Papias. Yeah,
1: bishop yeah. of Herapolis.
0: So yep. he's the bishop of Herapolis in uh, Asia Minor. Mm-hmm. Now, in Papias' own writing, so in, in a fragment that we have. He's talking about how it was his custom to go, whenever he would meet somebody who knew the apostles or the elders or the people who followed the apostles, he would ask them, what did he say? What did he say? And he would write it down. And in fact, Pius had like five books that are lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um He says, now, if by chance someone who had been a follower of the elders would come my way, I inquired about the words of the elders. Now listen, he says, what Andrew or Peter said, or Philip or Thomas or James or John Mm -hmm. or Matthew or any other of the Lord's disciples. Now listen to this. And whatever Aristion or the elder John and the Lord's disciples were saying. And so Eusebius zeroes in on that. And he says, see, there's an elder John. And, and that's distinct from John Zebedee. Mm-hmm. So the people who would say that John Zebedee, this tradition, in the Methan and the Markian tradition, that he dies early, they would say this elder John is really that, that older John who's writing the who gospel. Who takes over so the Johannine tradition. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And writes all five of those documents we've already mentioned. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the tradition is, is too strong, right? That, it's too that strong Zebedee, in the second century. That yeah. Zebedee makes it <laughs> to Asia Minor. Because yeah. um, if you look at the connection of another saint, St. Polycarp, Uh, who's the Bishop of Smyrna in the second century. Arenaeus, you know, knows of Polycarp very well. And he Mm -hmm. says that Polycarp like told it, like he, he knew John out here, you know? So he's a companion of John in Asia minor that places him at least there. Mm -hmm. But then you come to St. Justin Martyr in the mid second century, who in his, one of his writings, the dialogue with Trypho, he's mentioning, he's talking about Ephesus. And he says that John was with us in Ephesus. Um, so there's another attest, attest to it. The other thing is that you have Serenthus. Um, He's an arch heretic of the second, early 2nd century. Um, we get stories about... He's active in Asia Minor. Yeah, he's active in Asia Minor, and he was one of John Zebedee's uh, biggest opponents. Yep. yep. Um, so again, placing John in this area. Yeah, and then you also get,
1: uh, maybe most importantly...
0: yeah. Uh, um,
1: Polycrates, the Bishop of Ephesus. Yeah. Polycrates is an interesting figure. Um, he, he, we have a fragment of one of his letters that he wrote to Pope Victor in the late second century. And he says, before me were seven of my relatives who were Bishop of Ephesus. <laughs> I am the eighth. And I know that John the Apostle is buried here in Ephesus. Yeah. So that's a pretty big witness uh, yeah. down the generations past from family members. Uh, in the year 196 or so, he's writing this letter to Pope Victor.
0: Now, the Church and the Church universally recognizes this at this point. I mean, e- even in the early days, they recognize that John is buried in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have you,
1: well, you, well. Let me say, you you do hear of it even from heretics. Mm-hmm. So we have a second sec- second century document called the Acts of John, and the Acts of John basically tell the history of John mm-hmm. um, from a a heretics point of view the does yeah. heresy. Um, but they're speaking of the Acts of John, and they place John also in Ephesus and his and his death in
0: Ephesus as well. So you're not just getting it from great church figures; mm-hmm. you're also getting it even from people who are against the church. And just to dissuade people from maybe thinking at this point that, well, yeah, John the El- it's still John the Elder, though. You know, where's the Zebedee connection? The Zebedee connection comes in with the, the Marian tradition, right? Because Mary's uh, doma is is. Was there? Yeah, so you have
1: you 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 can go to the shrine today uh, near Ephesus, and the house of Mary is there where she where she stayed. Remember, Mary is given over to John. At, uh, Jesus at the does it at the cross, and uh, the tradition is that John took Mary with him mm-hmm. to Ephesus, and where Mary stayed is there. Right. So you get uh, both Christians and Muslims who visit this shrine in Ephesus. That's strong there. Um It's it brings up the question though, why Ephesus? And and there's this Mary connection to Ephesus. Mm-hmm. We said that. John, son of Zebedee, is the follower of John the Baptist, or was the follower of John the Baptist? yeah. John the Baptist, of course, is related to Jesus, related to Mary Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. Mm-hmm. These are all distant family members these are yeah. yeah, these are all family members. It's interesting in the book of Acts chapter 18 and nineteen. you see that there are all kinds of John the Baptist followers living in Ephesus mm-hmm. who don't who who have not yet received the full gospel, yeah. And so they have the gospel being preached to them so we we know that ephesus for some reason is a a hub of john the baptist kind of people mm-hmm. which you know we can only guess but it makes sense that perhaps there's family members of john the baptist there mm-hmm. Which means that it's family members of Mary herself, mm-hmm.
0: and which makes sense if, if you remember what's going on back in Judea. You know, you, you've got the Jews and the Romans going at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Jerusalem has been destroyed. And all so eventually, it becomes a dangerous place to be in Jerusalem. So people are finding their family mm-hmm. in, in distant lands in the diaspora to go live. So again, it would it, it would lend credence to the idea that John and Mary would settle in a place for a while, at least to settle in Ephesus yeah. where they have kin um, potentially, but also uh fellow travelers, right. Of John the Baptist. Now these would be John the Baptist. So John Zebedee was a very close, he was part of the inner circle. I think we had mentioned and, and, the people out here in Ephesus didn't hear about like the Holy Spirit or any of these kinds of things. You know, that's what it says in Acts. Like we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit that we had to be baptized into. We just know of John the Baptist, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is sort of the loose followers of John the Baptist. So it's ripe. It's a ripe place for John to do some ministry. Um, And so that lends credence to the the Ephesus thesis. Well, it's also a
1: safe place for Christians
0: because in, you know, when Paul
1: writes his letter to the Ephesians, you don't get the sense that there's great persecution going on. You don't get the sense that there's uh, sectarianism happening within mm-hmm. the city of Ephesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 in, in the book of Acts, when it says that Paul is leaving Ephesus, they're crying and wanting him to stay. It's safe here. Uh, it seems like there's a united front in the city mm-hmm. of Ephesus. All the elders, it says, were gathered around Paul and crying and weeping and seeing him off as he went back to Jerusalem. So it just seems mm-hmm. like Ephesus is a good place to be mm-hmm. uh, if you're a Christian. There's also a, a thriving synagogue there. Yeah. Of course, so, so the, the ongoing debate between Jesus believers and and non-Jesus believers among the Jews.
0: Yeah, so then I think where we would land, and this is just our opinion, um, feel free to disagree, is that to solve this issue of did John die early or did he go to Ephesus, we would just say there are two Johns. According to Papias, there are two Johns. There's John Zebedee, John the Elder. What connects them is this relationship of discipleship, most likely, that John the Elder is a disciple of John Zebedee Mm -hmm. in much the same way that Mark becomes kind of Peter's interpreter, John Mark. Um, So what we would postulate is most likely what's going on here is that the gospel of John is written by the hand, the physical hand of John Elder, Mm -hmm. but he's relaying, obviously, John Zebedee's preaching. the, (laughs) The gospel itself tells you that. Yeah tells you that the the, the, the disciple, disciple who, who told us, who
1: is told us these yeah. things is, is true. So you get the sense that there was somebody compiling the gospel, at least. Mm-hmm. That could be John the Elder. Mm-hmm. You have scholars who mark out differences in terminology between the three letters and then the gospel itself, mm-hmm. and then the terminology of revelation and the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very likely that, that John the Elder carries on the Johannine tradition in writing the letters, because of course, he refers to himself in the letters John as John Elder. the Elder, yeah. John Elder, mm-hmm. John the Presbyter. Um, And then, of course, Revelation, there's some differences in terminology that are different from the letters. Mm -hmm. So what we're getting at is is John the Apostle is certainly the witness of the gospel, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: relays it to John the Elder. John the Elder is perhaps the writer of the letters. But I think we would say that Revelation,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: maybe most parts of Revelation, are actually the apostle who wrote it as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of indications... When I read it too, it's like there's a lot of indications of that background again of um, an Essene theology, as you know, as brought to John Zebedee by John the Baptist. Because you get even you know the, the vision of the 144,000 where he says that they're all dressed in white and they have a seal upon their foreheads. Well, ascenes dressed in white when they worship. You have that whole narrative of where um, the woman is chased out into the wilderness by Satan, uh, which. Is referred to as like Israel yeah but it's but the question is of what happened with the yeah the, the with question the is when did that happen it's not back in the 40 years in the wilderness with Moses it's most likely the Essenes when they had gone out into the wilderness so it's um there, there are echoes of that in there you can draw it out well uh, there's there's also this um, terminology this dualism that's there in
1: in John certainly mm-hmm. and It's actually great because a lot of scholars, before we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we we associate those with the Essenes, before we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, a lot of scholars would look at the Gospel of John, the letters of John, Revelation of John, and say, this couldn't have been written by a Palestinian. And so they dated it later to outside somewhere else. But now that we know that a lot of that Essene terminology and ideology is also found in John, Mm -hmm. well... Now we can say it comes from a Palestinian. It comes from somebody like John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which lends
0: credence to the idea that the apostle did, in fact, write these documents. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of other, you know, arguments that, that we could put forward, um, you know, bolstering this thesis. But I think we'll just—we'll settle there, that we we believe that it is it is John Zebedee who writes Revelation, and it's likely John Elder who uh, authors the, the gospel and the— Well,
1: compiles the gospel. Yeah.
0: And perhaps authors the
1: letters. Yeah, yeah. But it's all—but again— this isn't, this isn't something against tradition. Right. This is all the Johannine tradition. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like Dr. David On says about prophets, right? John's a prophet, and he most likely had a school of people around him, a school of prophets, uh, writing to the churches in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And John is one of his prophetic disciples who's yeah. carrying on his teaching, John's teaching.
0: And it's from... So it's from Ephesus. So now, you know, we, we place John Zebedee in Ephesus. It's from Ephesus that he now spends the rest of his life... Battling, uh, doing a lot of battle with mm-hmm. false prophets. Uh, you see the Nicolaitans in the Book of Revelation. You see um, these these followers of who he dubs the the Jezebel, the prophetess Jezebel. Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of a prophetess running around over there. Um, you get the uh, the Cerinthians, the followers of Sarantus. You have Docitus, All these these groups, and John is doing battle in Ephesus. Um, there is a point though where John is exiled, right? He he gets caught up in a persecution, and he's on the island of Patmos, which is where he then drafts his revelation. And this point that you're bringing up about David on, it, it always fascinated me. He didn't David on doesn't go too far into it. He he postulates it and he says, might that be what these angels are in the churches in yeah. Revelation, where he's writing back and says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, to the angel. Those are resident prophets in resident communities, and John is the master prophet. And th- this is why even later tradition calls him John the Seer. It's interesting because the seer—that's a very ancient way of describing a prophet. Mm-hmm. That's that's going back to the shamanistic period of mm-hmm. Israel's history. They, they were called seers. Yep, exactly. So it's it's just so interesting, you know, that he might have had this this whole prophetic a guild, n- yeah, guild mm-hmm. in Asia Minor. Now, after his his time in Ephesus, persecution, uh, his exile. He or I'm sorry in Patmos he comes back he comes back to Ephesus. to Ephesus lives out the rest of his days presumably yeah we um, get
1: um we get some fantastical stories yeah. and some anachronism in in the Acts of John which is how you know it's from the second century mm-hmm. the anachronisms that are in it um, a lot of miracle stories and different things that John was doing there uh, but there is a, a the, there's a moving uh, ending to the whole episode um, in John in Ephesus and that is that he he gathers his disciples together he's older he knows he's going to die. And he shares a Eucharist with them. It's, mm-hmm. This a great little scene. And then he, he calls some disciples over and he says, dig a trench. And they start digging a trench. They're not sure what it's for. But then he strips his linens off, puts the linens in the trench and gets into it. Mm. And now this is going to be his grave, basically. <laughs> so he gives them a final blessing, says, peace be with you. And then it says he went to sleep. Mm. And so he was buried there in, in Ephesus. Now, what's interesting is, is the Greek manuscripts of the Acts of John... Um, Say that he was translated actually into heaven. He was assumed into heaven. So there's this assumption yeah. uh, tradition that's there in in the early traditions about John. But that again, the but Acts later, of John, yeah. it's later. The Acts of John again is a um, is a heretical document in the mm-hmm. apocrypha, New Testament apocrypha, but
0: also confirms that um, John yeah. was there and then he's living out his final days in yeah. Ephesus. Yeah. Like even his enemies know where he is. Mm-hmm. In other words, yeah. Um so yeah, so so John what's great about his, him being this bridge character is that these very groups that I mentioned to you, um, you know, the Cerinthians, the, 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 docetics, these are the same heresies that the early second century fathers are going to still be dealing with after John's death. So that's why John is sort of this, this bridge character because he, he becomes sort of the first, the first apostle to have to deal with strange ideas emerging yeah. from He's the kind Christian of the archipologist, the yeah. first
1: archipologist for Christianity, encountering these strange ideas, and he gives us his eyewitness testimony.
0: Yeah, and, and this is what we'll see in this 500-year history uh, narrative that we're drawing out, is that the church usually lives with a certain amount of plurality until it hears something that's foreign to the rule of faith that it received, yep. and it says no. Yep. But see, no is not enough. The ch- when the church says no to something, it then has to say, yeah, but what then? Yes, And then that's how the church now defines its doctrine. Well, that's what John is. John is the first loud and resounding no to certain things. And that's contra, again, history channel history, like the, the crossings of the world who are like, you know, they just celebrate the diversity like in the, early, the earliest, you know, uh, church with the Gnostics. The Gnostics were actually great Christians and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. No. John is that figure that you zero in and say, but what about John? Because John is the one who says no. You know, Um, and, and, you know, when we looked at James, Peter, um, I loved like some of the stories that you brought up about about James, especially uh, through Hegesippus. I want to do the same thing with John, because it's like every Catholic boy's dream, you know, to almost be like, what was it like, really, to be around the man, to be with him? Mm -hmm. Um, We have maybe more cute stories about like the James and the Peters of the world, but John has some too. Yeah. I think are worth relating. So I think the first one is like the, the Serenthus bathhouse um, narrative. Yeah. So you get this, this story in uh, preserved in Eusebius, the fourth century church historian,
1: and he's quoting Irenaeus and Irenaeus says, I myself saw Polycarp of Smyrna in his early years, for he lived a long time and was very old indeed when he laid down his life by a glorious and most splendid martyrdom. He then says, and there are people who heard Polycarp, Describe how John, the Lord's disciple, when at Ephesus, went to take a bath, but seeing Cerinthus inside, rushed out of the building without taking a bath, crying, Let us get out of here, for fear the place falls in. Now that
0: Cerinthus, the enemy of truth, is inside. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I love the story because it shows the two, the two aspects of John's personality that we just said that he's the first no to two heretics, in calling someone like Cerinthus the enemy of truth, mm-hmm. you know so he's clearly defining the truth line but then further he says something queer where he says, you know, for fear that this place will cave in you know, that, that in other words, that God will strike it down because he's in here. That shows a very prophetic side of John. Yeah. So it's almost like that. that's John. You know, yeah, that's that's his belie- it's believable,
1: too, right? Because he was the one who wanted to call down a fire from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, so very prophetic.
0: Yeah. And saying this place might cave in on us if we're here with Cerinthus. So we better get out of there. I, so I love it. It's just like this little window into his mm-hmm. personality. Um, and, and, and I just love thinking of even just being the little disciple going with John to the bathhouse. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just such a cool story. Mm-hmm. But then there's another one, too, right? About. Um, about how John, in his later days, wore the mitre? Wore priestly garments. So, again, Bishop Polycrates, Mm -hmm. um,
1: he says, (laughs) he says, in Asia, great luminaries sleep. He's writing to Pope Victor. Who shall rise again on the last day, the day of the Lord's advent, when he is coming with glory from heaven and shall search out all the saints, such as Philip, one of the 12 apostles who sleeps in Herapolis with his two daughters, who remained unmarried to the end of their days, while his other daughter lived in the Holy Spirit and rests in Ephesus. Again, there is John, who le- lent back on the Lord's breast and who became a priest wearing the mitre, a martyr and a teacher. He too sleeps
0: in Ephesus. Mm. So that's interesting too, that that shows you there's another tradition of maybe he was martyred in Ephesus as an old man, mm-hmm. but it also brings up this... this, this Really weird thing about him wearing the, uh, the turban or the miter. Yeah, so the language the there is
1: is the sacerdotal plate, which actually refers to the turban, the head turban of the high priest mm. um, for the Jews. And Polycrates is telling us that John, in his old age, wore this, mm-hmm. um, this turban on his head. So again, we go back to the connection between Salome and Elizabeth, mm-hmm. this, these kind of priestly families that are there. Was John part of the priesthood yeah. that went back into Jerusalem and then in his old age continued to wear priestly garments? We heard the same exact thing with James, the Lord's brother, yeah, wearing the linens of the priests, yeah. going into
0: the temple on his knees. Same kind of thing is being told here of John. What I like about John doing it, though, as opposed to James, is the temple's gone at this point. And so you know I, maybe there's maybe there's some Protestants listening to our channel right now who are thinking like okay guys like enough okay like the apostles aren't walking around wearing miters okay well first maybe the word miter is the is the is the difficulty but we're you know the 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 priest miter is more of like a like a cloth turban mm-hmm. okay so John is continuing to say in a, in a, in a way by wearing this not drawing attention to himself but he's drawing attention to a fact and that is that yeah maybe the temple in Jerusalem is gone. But the priesthood is not gone because the mm-hmm. temple is still here among us, the Christians. Mm-hmm. I like that. You know, it it it's whether it's true or not. Um, I think it's I don't think it's outlandish. Yeah. You know, to consider that that would be the case. Okay. <laughs> All right. So in the next episode, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through John's Gospel. We're gonna talk about the major themes, um, and then how basically how it relates to the synoptic tradition of Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then there will be a third episode after that where we talk about the first heresies. We kind of alluded to them, but in that episode, we're really going to dive into what was the first heresies that this last apostle encountered. Yep.